all have different, uh, different impressions that are left upon us by dads. And, uh, you know, there are some, some good memories, some, some good thoughts that some of the kids in front shared and that we were able to reflect upon here today as well. I, and, you know, one of the best things that dads can do is, is jokes, right? Telling dad jokes that it would not be Father's Day unless there were some dad jokes. So I read through a whole, probably about 150 dad jokes this week is where a lot of my study time went to in preparation for the sermon. None of them fit. I couldn't use any of them. But I thought, well, I, I'll just throw some in so you understand what I mean by, by a dad joke. That will leave a lasting impression upon you. Because I came across two new ones that I thought were particularly amusing. One of them was this. This, one's, this one requires some thinking, so you have to pay attention. My wife is really mad at the fact that I have no sense of direction. So I just packed up my stuff and write. The dads appreciate that one. Here's the one that's not as doesn't require as much thinking. But it was probably my favorite one that I read this year. The Secret Service isn't allowed to yell, get down anymore when the president's about to be attacked. Now they have to yell, Donald Duck. <laughs> so that's probably my favorite one. So, but I, I, hope, I hope you can forgive me for bad jo- dad jokes. Can you forgive me for that? Thank you. Because not only do I appreciate your forgiveness, but it means we're off to a good start. Because today we are talking about forgiveness. And so we're off to a good start already. We get to the part in our Lord's Prayer that says, forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. Now, forgiveness. All of us have experience with this word, with this term. At some point in all of our lives, we have desired it. We have sought after it. We have been asked to extend it to others. I hope all of us know the power of forgiveness, of receiving and extending that. I hope all of us understand the freedom that we can have when we know that we are forgiven. But I'm pretty sure we also understand the struggle that we have at times to grant forgiveness to another person. Forgiveness is such a key part of the human condition that that every religion, pretty much, every philosophy throughout time has some form of teaching on this subject matter. And they actually tend to follow a common path, a common understanding where they kind of go something like this. If if somebody does something wrong to you, if this injustice has taken place against you, then uh, there's an unbalanced equation all of a sudden. And so retribution to settle the score, to to make you right, to make you whole, is what you're entitled to. That's where we get this idea of an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. But most of the teachings also continue to say, if heartfelt apology is offered then the way to peace is to receive that and to forgive. Now, back in Jesus' day, there were similar teachings to this. And the prevailing teaching of the day was that if somebody asked you for forgiveness, you were to forgive them, but no more than three times. Three was the maximum. If you forgave somebody more than three times back in Jesus' day, you could even be considered part of the problem because you're enabling continued bad patterns to exist in these relationships. Now, knowing that is the pattern of the day, this one occasion in particular, Peter comes to Jesus. And, and maybe Peter was processing something that John had done the night before. He wasn't having a hard time getting over, but he had some incident in the past. But he comes to Jesus, and, and he asks him, he says, Jesus, how often do I have to forgive somebody who has wronged me? And he thinks, uh, he's been thinking about this for a bit, and he goes, you know, how, how about seven times? Is seven times enough times to forgive somebody? Now, the fact that Peter suggested seven shows that he's learning. 
Because remember, the cultural norm was three times. Jesus had this tendency to push beyond the cultural norm, to push beyond what was standard. And so Peter's equation probably was something like, well, three, double it is six, let's add one for good measure, seven. Is seven enough times? That would have been seen as extremely generous. Extremely generous, even foolish by some people's measurements of how often you would extend forgiveness. But Jesus responds to him. He says, no, Peter, not seven. Actually, 70 times seven times is how many times you need to forgive. Now, I'll do the quick math for you. That's 490 times, which is, which is ridiculous. That, that's, that's impossible. How could you forgive somebody 490 times? Like, what would that even look like when somebody comes to you and says, I know, I know I've come 362 times, but I got around 100, you know, 100 and some left. Will you forgive me? Like even this scenario is, is difficult to accept. And besides, how would you even keep track of that? Like you'd have to get a notebook and put a name at the top. Oh, Luke, that's one for you. Andrew, you'll be in here a few weeks, but you already got three. Brenda, it's adding up, it's adding up, right? Maybe somebody would develop an app for it, an app that would like send out a monthly summary of, of how many transgressions they have against you. Instead of Facebook, we could call it Gracebook. Right? Or instead of Twitter, we call it Bitter. Right? Dad jokes. Right? Hashtag dad jokes. <laughs> Can you apologize? Can I apologize? Can you forgive me for bad dad jokes again? It might even be a good marriage tool. You could even use email summary to your wife of how many times she's wronged you that month. Maybe, maybe, I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. Maybe not. We'll let that one go. Okay. But here's the thing. <laughs> Can you forgive me? That's one, right? Sorry, got me ticked down for one. <laughs> so, here's the thing. This is one of those cases where, where Jesus isn't literally saying 490 times. See, whenever we come across the number seven in Scripture, seven is symbolic of something. Seven is symbolic of perfection in Scripture. And so when Jesus is saying you were to forgive 77 times in some translations or 70 times seven times, what he's actually saying is, Peter, seven times isn't enough. The way I want you to forgive is perfection upon perfection. That's how I want you to forgive. It's not about a number. It's not about counting and keeping a tally in a notebook or an app on your phone. It's about a new standard. It's about this new standard I'm introducing for people who are followers of me, Jesus is saying. I want you to forgive completely. I want you to forgive perfectly. I want you to forgive always. Because that's the same way that your Father in heaven has forgiven you completely, perfectly, and always. And as he continues to answer Peter's question about how many times, what does forgiveness look like in the kingdom of God? As he continues to explain the answer to that question for Peter, he connects these two things. He connects forgiveness that we receive from God with connect, connected with forgiveness that we're to extend to other people. And he does this, and he drives home the point through a parable. Through a parable that I could read to you right now, or in honor of Father's Day, why don't we allow some children the opportunity to read this parable for us? One day, Peter was walking and he saw Jesus. And Peter said to Jesus, how many times do we have to forgive? 
a little. No. A jillion and twenty? Whoa, that's a lot. I know that is. That kind of reminds me of the Lord's Prayer. Forget, forgive others as, forgive others as I'm forgiving you. We will forgive our debtors as I will forgive you. That's in the Lord's Prayer. Then Jesus said, I need to tell you a story. Once upon a time, there was a king, and he said, you, he said to his servant, you had to pay me lots and lots and lots of money. Now give me it. I don't have any. Then I will send your, then you must send your, your whole family out to slavery and give me the money that you can owe me. No, no, please, 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 please. Mm. I'll do anything. Actually, can I sing you a song? Eh, go ahead. Let it go, let it go. Can't hold it back anymore. Let it go, let it go. Turn away as said, okay, I would forgive, I will forgive you. And then the servant said, thank you, you're the best king ever! And he went jumping up and jumping up and down. And then he, when he went in outside, he saw somebody who owed him a little bit of money. He grabbed him by the neck and, and shaked him around and said, you will owe me all that money that you that you owe me. Stop joking! <laughs> then the mean old man told the little guy to pay him. You will pay me a thousand and twenty dollars, or else you will be thrown in jail. Then he said, "Please, please, please forgive me." No way! Now give me all the money. Two pennies is not that much at all. Can I sing you a song instead? Let it go. Let it go. I don't know any of it. Stop singing that song. I feel bad for the person that got choked in the story. Because it's mean. You can die that way. It hurts and you can't breathe. If they're strong enough. Then after the servant said, please let me go, he said, no, I'm going to put you in jail so you can owe all the money you owe me. And then so he put him in jail. And then the servants healed, and then the servants heard, they were, they were surprised. They went to their king, and they said what happened. And the king ordered for, the, for that slip, for that servant to come back, and he said, didn't I give you mercy? And the slave said, yeah. yes. And so he said, well, you didn't give other people mercy. So, so you're in big trouble. So you're going in jail. Um, I'm sad about the survey they got thrown through in jail. And you 
Only for your food, you only get to have bread. You would have frozen water, which the white witch, with the white witch, would have in Narnia. I think he'll frozen have to wait everything. until it melts. He'll have to wait until it melts. That's gonna be a lot of days. A lot. More like two days. Or if there was forks, you could just poke the ice and get to the water. Well, but there was no forks and spoons and ice. In that well, there's no such thing as there were sporks and, and water. For you nice. could use sporks and storks and, and fire. Dwarfs? Yeah, and fire. This is what it's like in jail. Then the king said, "When I, if I forgive you, why don't you forgive the other people? Then Jesus said, if you don't forgive your brothers and sisters, you, God won't be happy. Since he forgives you, you should forgive other people. Is that right? The end. I remember when I was back in uh, cemetery, I mean seminary, it was, um, sorry, a slip of the tongue there. I had a friend named uh, Stefano Piva. Some of you may know him. He was the pastor of Greenfield Baptist here in town for a while. And he tells a story of when he was sharing this exact parable with a group of junior high students at a soccer camp he was running. And when he got to the part about, about the forgiven servant kind of beating the other guy up, this junior high girl who had never been to church, she had never read the Bible, she had, she had never uh, opened this story before. First time she was hearing it. When he got to that part, she jumped to her feet and she goes, that's not right. Like, like how could he do that? And after the king had forgiven him all that money, which is exactly the point. And that's exactly the reaction that I hope we would have, even if we are familiar with this parable. That I, I pray that these words would fall fresh upon us today again. You see, in linking... Uh, God's forgiveness of our sins with, with our forgiveness of other people's sins. I, I think Jesus knew the significance that exists, the, of, of the power that exists in this lesson being applied in our lives. I think he also knew how difficult it was going to be. He knew that this was a really challenging, countercultural principle for us to, to not just hear, but to go forward and apply. And, and part of the reason I believe that is because when we get to the end of the Lord's Prayer, we get through all the different petitions, the introduction, the conclusion, the seven petitions, we get to the end of the Lord's Prayer. Jesus offers commentary on one petition after the prayer, and it's this one. When you get to the end of the Lord's Prayer, Jesus goes, hold on a second, guys, let's back up a few verses here, because I want to add another couple points. And he says this to us in, in verse 14 of, of Matthew chapter 6. He says, For if you forgive other people when they have sinned against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you also. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive you of your sins. Now the main message here is pretty clear. It's pretty clear that, that forgive and be forgiven. Refuse and be refused. So it's a clear message that we see in the commentary Jesus offers on this one particular petition of the Lord's Prayer. But, but I think we need to be careful on how we apply this, though. And what I mean by that is we could read this and, and draw from it an understanding of a conditional forgiveness. And when we're talking about forgiveness, we're in terms of our forgiveness from God, we're, we're talking about salvation here. 
We could draw from this an understanding of a conditional forgiveness, therefore a conditional salvation. A salvation that's based upon our good works. Meaning that as though through my forgiveness of other people, that my salvation, my worthiness of God's mercy is somehow achieved through that. But I want to suggest to you that's not exactly the application of this passage here. And if we allow Scripture to interpret Scripture, looking at the whole uh, scriptural teaching on forgiveness and salvation, I think what we can understand in, in a broader sense is this. That what Jesus is saying here is that if you have experienced, if you have even any level of comprehension of the forgiveness you have received from your Heavenly Father, of, of how unworthy you were of that, how while you were still sinners, while you were still enemies, disobedient to God, he went and paid the price for those. If you start to grasp and experience and understand, comprehend the forgiveness we've received from God, that will have an impact upon you. That will start to transform you. It will start to lead you and motivate you to having a desire to forgive others. That he has set the example of what that looks like, which paves the path for us to walk. That if we have an experience with this, it starts to empower us with the ability to forgive others. And therefore, if we put this all together, we can understand that our forgiveness of others is not the means by which we are forgiven. It is instead the evidence that we have experienced God's forgiveness. It's not the means by which we receive our forgiveness. It's the evidence that we have been forgiven. And so when we're praying... When we're praying, forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors, we are first praying for God to forgive us of our sins. Now, a Sunday school teacher was once teaching their class about this topic. And, and she wanted to make sure the class understood this final point that she was driving home. And so as the class was about to end, she stopped and she said, can anyone tell me what you must do before God can forgive you of your sins? And there was a short pause, and it was quiet, and then one small boy in the back of the class with kind of a sinister voice said, sin, first I need to sin. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> it's a little, if you're as parents, maybe a little nervous, but it's true. First we need to begin with sin. All of us have done things that qualify into that category of sin. But at the same time, there are people in the world and even in the church that have a really, uh, a really good attempt at somehow justifying or reconciling those sins themselves. One common way this happens is, is by saying, well, I know I've done some bad things, but I'm a good person. I go to work. I put my 40 hours a week to provide for my family. I go home and I mow my lawn so that my neighborhood looks nice. When I'm in drive through I turn my car off so I don't idle and don't pollute the environment. I don't even use straws in my drinks anymore at restaurants to save the turtles. I donate to causes. I'm, I'm a law-abiding citizen, not even a parking ticket, not a speeding ticket, not a littering ticket. I am a good person. And there's truth in that. The challenge with that, trying to reconcile uh, our, our, our sin issue with that, is that quite often we're selective on who we're comparing ourselves against. And if you give another person the opportunity to pick the, I, the individual you're being compared against, they probably could eventually find somebody who's a little better than you in some or all of those areas. For example, if I was given the chance, I could probably find somebody who doesn't work just 40 hours a week, but works 60 hours a week. I could find somebody who doesn't have to mow their lawn. They got a fake lawn. It looks perfect all year round. Their community looks better. You don't idle your car and drive through, they have an electric car. No pollution at all. You don't use straws in your drinks for the sake of the environment? Well, they drink their water out of paper cartons. 
Right. There's these things that happen. See the measurement. Give that a second. <laughs> the measurement is not us versus another person. See, the challenge here is that the measurement is us versus God. And, and as Romans 3.23 tells us, all of us have sinned. We've all fallen short, not of one another. We've all fallen short of God's standard, of God's glory. That's the measurement that we fall short of, not another person. Now, this gets pushed to the next level. Well, fine, I, I accept that I've fallen short of God's glory, but another way that I can try to overcome my personal sin problem is by making sure that, yes, I've done some bad things, but I, I'll just make sure I do more good than bad. And so they get these scales out in their, in their minds. They go, well, I'll put my bad things over here, and I'll just make sure I pile on good things on this side so that it, it just outweighs the bad. And in the end, therefore, my identity is a good person. And this actually is so common, it becomes how a lot of New Age religions and a lot of Eastern religions actually define the idea of salvation. That there are literal scales, that when a person stands before God will be pulled out, and as long as you are 50.000001% good, you're in Lake Flynn. Now there's a philosophical problem with this. And here's the challenge. Let, let's just play this out for a minute. So let's say my, my bad issue is, is I tell a lie. What do I need to put on this side to offset that? Uh, probably an apology and, and I share the truth. We just tipped it. Well, it's up the ante a little bit. What if I were to do something like, like steal a car? Okay, well, well, it's a heavier weight on this side. But I, I could go turn myself in. I could uh, you know, pay my time. I could do some community service afterwards. I could pay restitution to the person I stole the car from. And suddenly these scales start to tip a little bit. I can do those things. Well, let's push it even further because there are some things in our world that society has called capital offenses. Let's say, for example, a capital offense is you take another person's life. That's a serious thing. What could you possibly put on this side to tip the scale down? The most that we have to offer is our lives. And, and I don't, I'm not even sure if that balances it in the end. But even if you think that does balance it, a life for a life, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, even if we follow that philosophy, well, what if, what if it's two lives? Then suddenly we're at a point where we have a price against us that ourselves, even our own lives, can't pay. Let's push this one step further. You see, I can forgive you of things you've done against me. But I can't forgive you of things you've done against other people, and I certainly cannot forgive you for things you've done against God. And it is God's law. It is God's standard. It is his will. It is his glory that has been violated. And even pain with our own lives, we still fall short of tipping those scales. It is beyond us to reach a point where we can possibly be good enough, possibly do enough, to tip the scales in our favor. When it comes to our offenses against God, we find ourselves losing each time. Romans 6.23 says, the wages of our sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. You see, one way that Jesus got himself into trouble when he was ministering is he would tell people, I forgive you of your sins. And, and, and the leaders of the time thought, how can he do this? Like, who can forgive sins? As I've kind of just been explaining, who can forgive sins but God himself? And they were right in, in, in their challenge. Who can forgive sins except for God himself? But see, when Jesus was saying, I forgive you of your sins, he was referencing all sins. He knew very well what he was saying. 
And when he was saying that, he was claiming he had authority on earth to forgive sins. And he knew that he was declaring himself, therefore, to be God. That was not lost on him as he said these things, as he, as he ministered in the world. One of my famous quotes from C.S. Lewis says, Either this man, Jesus, was and is the Son of God, or else he was a madman or something else. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about him being some great human teacher. He'd never left that open to us, and he never intended to. He knew very well who he was claiming to be when he said, I forgive you of your sins. He says, so when we're praying, Father, forgive us of our debts. When we say those words, we're acknowledging a few things. We're acknowledging, number one, that we have sinned. We're acknowledging, secondly, that we have sinned against God, not just against other people. We may have done damage and injured other people in the process of our sins, but we're acknowledging that we have also sinned against God. We're acknowledging that it is beyond us to fix that problem, to make restoration, restitution, that is beyond us, which means we're also acknowledging we need Jesus, who is the one who declared, I can forgive you of your sins. As we've stated, the wages of sin is death. But Jesus is the perfect Lamb of God, the perfect sacrifice who went to the cross to pay the price for our sins, to to go to the cross and give his life in place of ours, to pay the debt we could not pay. And Jesus extends that forgiveness to all people to forgive all sins, not just 2,000 years ago, but this very day as well. And anyone who chooses to receive that forgiveness receives it completely, perfectly, and always, as Jesus was teaching. But in addition to that, because we've now experienced it, because it's now been received and modeled for us, we are also commissioned to go out and to do likewise to others. And that's hard. Can we, just, can we just admit and acknowledge that that's hard to do? This is not an easy, easy teaching. This is not an easy principle to apply in our lives. Like, sure, when, when somebody cuts us off in traffic or if dad takes the last ice cream sandwich, like, we can get over that stuff. Bad jokes, we can, we can forgive that stuff. What about other situations and other people in our lives when, when somebody has betrayed us, when somebody has abandoned us, when, when injury is caused to our character, to our, our person, to loved ones around us, when we're taken advantage of, even then, we're supposed to apply this? Now, you might be thinking of some of those scenarios in our own lives. And you might be thinking, I, I understand that's what's written in Scripture, but it's not in me to forgive that person. It's not in me to do that. And if you're honest, sometimes you'd be thinking, I don't, I'm not sure I really want to either. And I understand that and would say, you know what, you're right. It's not in you. It's not in you naturally to forgive people of things like that. But just as we need God to forgive us of our sins, we also need God to empower us, to empower us to forgive the sins of other people. And that's the second thing we're praying in this part of the petition of the Lord's Prayer. Not just forgive us of our sins, but Lord, empower us that we may be able to forgive others of their sins against us. See, when we start to grasp the significance of what forgiveness means, a forgiveness that we didn't deserve, that we didn't earn, and yet we received from God, when we start to understand that, it opens the door for us to extend forgiveness to others. That once we seek and receive Jesus' payment for our sins, 
at that moment, the Bible tells us in, in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 that when, when that happens, when that transaction takes place, it says that if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. That the old is gone and that the new is here. What is it talking about? What, what do we mean the, the old is gone, the new is here? What's new and what's old? What's gone and what's, what's arrived? Well, that is actually a large topic, but one thing in particular that fits into that question is found in Ephesians 4 when, when Paul is writing to the church in Ephesus. And he says this, he says, if you are in Christ, so if you're in Christ, if that transaction has taken place, some old leaves and some new comes in. What is the old? Ephesians 4 chapter 31 says, get rid of. Get rid of bitterness. Get rid of rage, anger, slander. Bitterness, rage, anger, slander. Those are things that are kind of associated with a lack of forgiveness. When we're withholding forgiveness, when we're holding a grudge against somebody, those are words that we sometimes feel in our hearts. Bitterness, rage, anger, slander. He's saying, he's saying get rid of those. And in their place, the new has come. What is the new in verse 32? It says, the new has come. Be kind, compassionate, Forgive one another just as Jesus Christ, as God forgave you in Jesus Christ. Sound familiar? Ephesians 4.32 picks up on the exact same principle as the parable we looked at a few minutes ago. It picks up on the same thing we see in this particular petition in the Lord's Prayer. That the old has gone and the new has come. It's in this type of kindness and compassion is countercultural. It does not come naturally to us. It is something that is empowered in us by the Holy Spirit once we've received the forgiveness of God into our lives. It's the type of, of countercultural forgiveness and kindness and compassion that when it's experienced in the world, it causes the world to sit up and take notice. There's one story of this happening uh, a few years back now that you may be familiar with, maybe remember. It happened a story from back in April of 1999. That began when Reverend Dale Lang of Tabor, Alberta, received a phone call. Parents' worst nightmare. Reverend Lang, your, your son is in the hospital. He's been shot. And in the end, he died. He died at the hand of a 14-year-old copycat Columbine shooter. See, a week earlier, the Columbine shooting happened, and, and the student went to school and shot some kids, one of them being Reverend Dale Lang's son, who died. Five days later, on national TV, he stands at the service on national TV and forgives his son's murderer. When he was interviewed afterwards about how and why and all these natural questions, this is what he said. He said, our faith allows us to forgive this young man as early as on the memorial service for our son, which was just five days after Jason's death. He's gone on to be a public speaker on the subject, and as he talks to audiences and parents who are going through loss, he, he tells them of the importance of healing and forgiveness. He says the problem will be that if you can't reach that place of forgiveness, then you're going to get stuck in a place of anger and bitterness. Ephesians 4.31, the old. However, forgiveness is what we move towards. And forgiveness is not saying it's okay. It's not saying it's acceptable. It's saying, I am choosing to let go of this for my own health and get on with life. Is there someone in your life that perhaps you've been refusing to extend forgiveness to? Maybe we can take some steps towards that today. 
Is there someone in your life that, that you've been waiting for an apology from? And it feels like you're trapped in that. Maybe we can take some steps forward in that today. You see, through God's example and, and through his empowerment in our lives, and through the example of, of Reverend Lang, I want to talk briefly about four things of what forgiveness is and what it's not. And I pray this will be helpful for some people who may be here today. First of all, forgiveness is not always being ready. Not always being ready to forgive. Often we, we hang on to, to our losses. The loss of hopes. Uh, we hang on to the pain. And in some sense, it's an effort to try and validate what was done to us. This thing was done to me, and I'm going to hang on to this because it, it just validates that, that I've been injured. Now, it's very difficult to just naturally move beyond that. There does come a time for a lot of people in their lives where they have to choose to move beyond that desert time in their lives and enter into a season of forgiveness. Quite often it happens through prayer. Not, I'm not suggesting that you get on your knees, you pray once, and it's released. I believe the power of God can do that, but more often than not what I find is it starts with a person just choosing to pray a very honest, often a very angry an ugly prayer, but a prayer nonetheless that God honors and helps the person to start taking steps of personal healing and forgiveness within themselves to move forward. And that first step is important. You see, when we wrong God, when we sin against God, he chose to make the first step. We see this in Romans 5.8, where it says, for God demonstrated his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. See, before we ever came to God, before we ever came to Jesus and said, I want you to forgive me, I acknowledge my wrongs, before we ever did that, God made the first move to open the door so that there was a path for forgiveness to be available to us. So it's always about being ready. But it can often begin by taking a step, by choosing to take a step. Secondly, this idea of forgive and forget that you've probably heard of is actually really unhealthy. This idea of forgiving and forgetting is really unhealthy. It can actually lead to the continuation of cycles of abuse. Where if we forgive and we forget, oh, no, I'll pretend like it never happened, and then it happened again. Oh, I forgive and I'll pretend it never happened, and it happened again. We can perpetuate these cycles of abuse. So forgiving and forgetting is, is not a healthy way to go forward. What is it, though? What is forgiveness, though? It is choosing to reach a point where we no longer rub a person's nose in the mess they made. It's not forgetting about it but it's choosing to let go of the right to crucify that person in the future. Say, I will no longer rub your nose in this mess every time I choose. It's deciding instead to absorb what can't be repaid. Jason's life will not be given back. Perhaps a person's innocence will not be given back. The hope of lost dreams cannot be given back but there's an option to absorb that and move forward. In 1 Peter chapter 2, it says this of Jesus when he was being crucified, of, of how he absorbed and moved forward in providing forgiveness. It says this, that when they hurled insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. We can entrust ourselves into the hands of God. Then thirdly, it's also not saying, forgiveness is also not saying it didn't happen and it didn't matter. It's not dismissing it as an incident in the past. Whatever that offense is, it did happen and it does matter. 
And one way to show that it matters is to expect and to require some degree of consequences to take place in that person's life. You see, we are forgiven of our sins. But in, in the process of God's forgiveness of our sins, God didn't say, it doesn't matter. I'm just going to forgive and forget that it ever happened. There's no consequences. Freely I forgive you. More accurately, God does say, freely I forgive you, but let's not, ex- let's not misunderstand freely I forgive with forgiveness being cheap. Because our sins did matter, and they cost Jesus his life. There was a high cost for our sins. The wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is, is forgiveness, eternal life in Jesus Christ. That second part does not remove the first part. The wages of sin is still death. The exchange, however, is Jesus' death in place of us. You see, so wrongs that happened did happen. They do matter, and there are consequences. But then finally, forgiveness is not letting the other person off the hook. Quite often, it's letting ourselves off the hook. There's this emotional hook that sometimes the person who offended us doesn't even know that we're on. They've moved on with their lives, and yet we're still stuck in these prisons, in, the, in these, these bubbles of, of struggle and challenge. And sometimes we need to make that choice where in the absence of acknowledgement, in the absence of apology, in the absence of some sort of restitution being made, in the absence of some sort of evidence that an injustice was done against me, there needs to be a choice made, as, as Reverend Lang made, that says something along the lines of, of I know God knows, I know Jesus loves me. I know Jesus mourns with me. And I know that he wants to lead me to freedom if I will walk with him, if I'll allow myself to emerge from that. And the promise in John 8, 36 is whoever the Son sets free is free indeed. And Jesus Christ does have the power to set us free from these things as well. Because whoever the Son sets free is free indeed. See, forgiveness is not easy, and it's certainly not cheap, but it is possible. It is possible through Jesus Christ. It's possible through him. It's it's possible to have forgiveness between us and God because of him. And because of the sacrifice of Jesus, we can pray the words, Father, forgive us of our sins. It's possible between us and other people, because when we pray as we forgive those who have sinned against us, we're asking for his empowerment to do what seems impossible for us to do. As we end this service today, before the worship team comes back out, I just want to pray over you. Because I know this is a reality that, that exists in, in most, if not even all, lives that exist in this room. So I want to invite you if you, just, if you just bow your heads where you are right now. And I just want to ask you, as you just reflect upon this subject, this concept of forgiveness, The first one is this, is needing God's forgiveness of our sins. That if you're here today and you have never made that profession of faith, as you sit there contemplating that, let's just reflect upon your need for forgiveness of sins, that that, that we have sinned against God and is beyond us within ourselves to make ourselves right with God, that we need Jesus to do that. Or perhaps you you have done that, but but you've kind of wandered and strayed away and and as you think about this concept, it's like, you know, I, I need to come back into the loving arms of the Father. I need to confess that. 
Lord, forgive me my sins. Perhaps you're in a different part of the equation where you think of yourself, you know, there is, there is a need within me to seek forgiveness from another person. That I have wronged them and, and I kind of went and, and hid away and avoided it. And perhaps where you're sitting right now, you can just pray, Lord, give me the humility. Give me the courage. Empower me, Jesus, to go to that person and to do the hard thing but the right thing and ask for their forgiveness. Or perhaps you're on the other side of the equation where you need to take a step towards forgiveness in the absence of an apology. You have been wronged. You have been hurt. But you can choose in the power of Jesus Christ to emerge from that and to move forward. Wherever you may fall on that, I just want to pray for you right now as the worship team comes to lead us in our final song. Heavenly Father, for those who are in our midst here today, who, who need to seek your forgiveness, God, I pray that the spirit that is among us here, that, that we would just have that conviction within us, that we would not push it away and that we would not, not try, to, try to justify our sins or try to, try to solve them ourselves. We would understand, Lord, that the spirit within us is convicting us of our need for you that we would confess those to you today, Lord, in this place. Lord, for those who are here who have withheld forgiveness, God, we don't need to know the story. I just pray that, that humility and courage would, would soften a heart, that they would go to a person that they have wronged in the past and acknowledge that, that they would seek the road of peace with that individual. And Lord, for those who are amongst us here today who, who themselves are in a season perhaps even a long season of pain from an absence of acknowledgement from somebody who has wronged them. God, I pray that you would be their hope. God, I pray you would be their salvation. God, I pray you would be the one who would empower them to stand up under the burden and to start to walk and to emerge from that victorious in Jesus Christ. We pray this all, Lord, in the name of Jesus Christ, whom we proclaim to be your Son and our Savior.